namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa Udhang dhammang sankhang namasami. So this is the uh, full moon, oppositor. And... Uh, the first day of summertime. This is an hour, an hour different from how it was yesterday. And um, we're very close to the end of our winter retreat time. Having had three months of being able to uh, really focus on our inner work So Ajahnamaru asked me if I would share a few thoughts on Dhamma this evening. And uh, so I'll do my best to do that. Uh, I noticed that before giving a Dhamma talk, often there are various ideas floating around in the mind. Uh, sometimes you have a, a list of things that you could talk about, sometimes a particular theme or idea or or something, something that's happened to, to speak around, to speak about. And uh, that's certainly been the case for me today. Um, and there's always, well, for me, there's always a, a real um, wish to be able to... Um, speak um, from a place of Dhamma, from a place of understanding truth, and in a way that will be useful uh, to at least a few people. Um, so it's not so much about displaying how much one knows, but more... Uh, really trying to relax, trying to, the, the capacity to, to, to tune in, to rest uh, in this moment. Because the Dhamma is a very immediate, uh, Janembo has been offering reflections, uh, many reflections over this time, and always pointing to the immediacy of, of Dhamma. Uh, there are teachings pointing to the truth, theoretical teachings, ideas, uh, we can debate about the truth, but actually the truth, the Dhamma, is uh, what we know right now. So um, offering Dhamma reflections for me is always a matter of trying to, to rest, to relax as much as possible with things as they are right now. Um, so I'm aware that for me it's it's a quite an unusual situation, although I've 
done it once before to to speak to the um, with, with the with the bhikkhus, the the male monastic community here uh, in front of me, and uh, the nuns in the retreat center shrine room, and lay people in the sala, I think, uh, listening. So it's. I was actually thinking how how weird this whole uh, time has been this last year when we've really got into the the Zoom technology and where um, we can actually, rather than just speaking on the phone, we can speak to each other and see each other. I know for you know there are many people for whom this has been completely normal for years, but uh, for me it's it's quite uh, different just getting used to the fact that people can actually see you close up on their screens if they want to <laughs> while you're giving your talk and uh, watching the recordings afterwards and just seeing all the little mannerisms and things that one does quite automatically, uh, unconsciously, little gestures and so on. So it's it's a bit of a, a new... Uh, kind of evolution uh, that, you know, 20, 30 years ago would have been unthinkable. And when I came into the Sangha, we were still using manual typewriters <laughs> and uh, using carbon paper if you wanted to make more than one copy. So, yeah, progress. Progress. <clears throat> One of the things that we did today that uh, created quite a strong impression for me was um, in the nuns area, we're going to have to have 13 uh, of our trees uh, removed in order to make space for the building of the new nuns accommodation, which will be starting in June, but this apparently is, is the time for for cutting trees, and uh, I've actually been quite conscious of of this as something that will need to happen for for quite a number of months. And for me, actually, it's it's been you know, it's had quite an impact the idea of it. And then um, a few days ago, I asked Sister Jayaviri exactly which trees, and uh, then I got some some white cloth and tied it around the trees so that. For all of us, it would be uh, we would be able to to note that this was something that was going to happen, and in order to prepare ourselves, and also, you know, maybe the trees also um, will benefit from some kind of preparation. In fact, it's interesting that one of the um, the Patimoka rules comes from a uh, a story of a, a tree that was damaged by a monk and the tree spirit, the devada, living in the tree was so angry she was going to kill the monk and the Buddha said, no, no, that's, that'd be very bad karma, you shouldn't do that. But he then made a rule that for, for um, because bhikkhunis they couldn't damage plant life. So in a real sense that it is a significant thing that is needing to happen. And some of the trees have been there for 20, 30, 40 years. Um, so 
some of us gathered and and chanted, and we've decided to do that every day just to you know, to prepare ourselves and the trees for this event. Uh, you know, in some ways, you think, well, yeah, so what? A few trees, and you think about the uh, <coughs> clearing that happens. You know, they just cut hundreds, thousands of trees different parts of the world clearing land for for crops and so on but you think well why why make such a big thing about it and uh, I think for me one of the things I've been pondering is just whether about the, the the degree of sensitivity that we develop in our lives in our practice as as monastics um, and obviously for, for lay Buddhists too who you know, take the precepts and take them seriously. One of the things I found with the first precept is that it it's made me really um, appreciate um, and have a very strong sense of connection with with all of life. You know, a real sense of um, yeah, the significance of all of the all of the creatures that we share this planet with. And I, I remember I was thinking about it. I remember my biology teacher. No, it wasn't. He wasn't biology. He was botany. That's right. Botany teacher. Uh, quite a a perceptive man. And I remember him kind of warning me about the uh, tendency to project onto animals and and even plants. I would I would talk to the plants as well and uh, see them you know, in, in, in a very kind of human way. And uh, I mean, maybe even then I was kind of had Buddhist inclinations where you just actually relate to to creatures uh, with a sense of concern, a sense of care, wanting to protect. So on the one hand, there's this this sensitivity, this awareness that that I think after a time of retreat like that, I think we all uh, become more sensitive, um, more attuned. Um, before you know, over the next days when we start having meetings, and I mean I know some people have been having meetings already, but um, when the mind begins to fill up with um, Concerns, duties, responsibilities, interactions, interacting a lot more with each other. Um, and the mind becoming you know, more attention being given to uh, those kind of outward concerns. And... Um, Being able to to maintain uh, that sensitivity, that care, that attunement, um, without it becoming completely overwhelming. Um, 
So it seems to me that there's always always needs to be a, a balance, and that you know, both aspects are important. The outer um, aspect, the duties, the responsibilities that we have, and taking care of the place, taking care of each other, supporting each other, and then the um, our our inner um, attunement to things. There's finding an appropriate balance. During my retreat, I um, I read a few things. I did quite a lot of reading. I don't, not not for hours and hours each day, but I had a few books that I would look at from time to time, and and that was very very nice this time because each time I uh, turned to one, I always seemed to kind of find something that was particularly uh, relevant, particularly appropriate. And uh, I wanted to share one of the stories that I, I read. Um, not a Buddhist story, it's from um, Tales of the Dervishes by Idris Shah, uh, a collection of uh, Sufi stories uh, gathered over the, you know, from over the last few hundred years, you know, and and there's one story that I, I particularly like that I think addresses this theme of the kind of minuteness and also the vastness. Um, and it's a story about a gnat. You know, I think you all know what a gnat is. It's like a small, a small insect. Uh, and this gnat is called Namus. The gnat Namus, I think that's the name of the story. And Namus was a very sensitive gnat. And so he was called Namus, no, he was called the, the perceptive Namus. <laughs> and at some point Namus decided that it was time to, to move house, to move location. And so he, he pondered the matter and uh, quite carefully and eventually decided. And he found a very, very suitable dwelling inside the ear of an elephant. And he was very well behaved, very sensitive, very attuned. And so he, um, when he arrived there, he announced his presence to the elephant. He shouted to the elephant. He said, I am Namus. I am the perceptive, sensitive Namus. And I've come to take up residence in your ear. Um, please let me know if you have any concerns about this. And... Uh, there was absolutely no response. So he took this to be a scent. He didn't actually realize that the elephant hadn't heard him. <laughs> so anyway, he, he took up residence. It was a very, very um, appropriate, very suitable location. And he um, lived there for well, quite a long time and raised many families of natlets who were then sent out into the world. And uh, time passed, and um, eventually, after, I don't know how long it would be, whether we talk about years, I don't know how long gnats live, but 
after a considerable time, after pondering carefully, once again, he um, decided for very good, appropriate reasons that it was time to um, find another, another dwelling. And so once again, he prepared himself and he made the announcement, um, shouting as loud as he could into the elephant's ear. This is Namus here, this is Namus, the perceptive Namus, and I wish to inform you of my uh, carefully considered intention to move uh, away from this dwelling. And thank you for allowing me to stay for all this time. It's been very convenient. And now I'm going to be moving. And um, he listened carefully and there was, again, no response. So he um, shouted louder. A second time, made the same announcement. And still, no response. And then he really gathered all his energy. He gathered all his forces and he shouted as loud as he could, I am Namus. I am the perceptive Namus, the gnat. And I wish to inform you, O oh elephant, that I have decided to leave after having spent a long time in this wonderful uh, lodging. I'm now going to leave. I wish to inform you of my intention and please let me know if you have any concerns um, about this. He shouted really loudly. And this time, the elephant did hear this little tiny voice. And in response, he raised his trunk and just a little, little, little gentle trumpet, which said something like the equivalent of, go in peace. You're arriving and your departure I have no knowledge of either or of your presence and they have been of no concern or significance to me at all. <laughs> so in our lives as human beings, uh, you know, if we look at it you know, from the vastness of space, or the planet. It seems very, very small. Uh, the incident, incident, that's not the right word, but the event with the, um, the trees, the chanting, it sort of seems very, very small, very insignificant in the grand scheme of things. And yet, for each one of us, it has a, a significance. It matters. It matters how we live. It matters how we relate to our surroundings. It matters how we relate to each other, how we care for each other, how we respect each other, um, how we, uh, the fact that we have this um, extraordinary dispensation, you know, from the Buddha, 
who lived as a human being on this vast planet, in this vast universe, um, so many thousands of years ago, and who established this, these structures, these trainings, this way of life. Um, it does have a, a huge significance for us. Um, and we are immensely privileged to have this opportunity, to have this, this guidance. Um, and that we have the ceremonies, the things that we do together. Uh, like beginning of the winter retreat, we had a ceremony with Ajahn Amaron taking dependence, and then in a few days we'll have the ending of the retreat, and then the people who have been, the lay people who've been staying here and offering their support, their service, you know, acknowledging that, and um, all that that has meant for us to have this this opportunity um, to really attend to our, our inner inner lives, our inner practice, um, and to really, I mean, one of the things I think that has been, I've found helpful, that's been emphasized more and more is just how, um, just the distinction between what goes on in our heads, how we can get caught up in our heads, in our ideas, in our plans, in our worries, in our concerns, and how that takes us away from Dhamma. Um, and for me, just this, this whole three months, this um, opportunity to be less up here, or at least to be able to recognize uh, when there's a kind of getting caught up in, in concerns and ideas, you know, how, um, and then the, the, the capacity just to come back uh, to the present, to come back, um, to anchor ourselves uh, using what some people call the establishments of mindfulness, ways that we can establish mindfulness, you know, things we can turn to, um, you know, the body, and I, I find the body is... is really helpful you know because it's it's always here and we can always come to the body you know we got caught up in, in an idea or plan or concern or worry or fear or doubt and always coming back um, and just relaxing in the body a very immediate attuning uh, to Dhamma and bodies can seem kind of quite gross and Dhamma can seem very refined but you know, the Dhamma is is part of nature. And I was thinking today how incredibly fortunate we are here at Amaravati in all of our monasteries that we we live um, surrounded by nature. You know what we call nature: the trees, the the flowers, the plants, uh, the birds, creatures, the deer. I've seen lots and lots of deer over this last while, and uh, it's a very immediate. Um, um, opportunity to just contemplate the external, what we call the world of nature. Um, but then realizing that actually these, these bodies are, <laughs> this is nature. Uh, 
this is at least as much nature as, as the trees and the plants and the flowers and the earth, the slugs, the worms. This is, this is, this is nature. So even if, you know, at times we need to, you know, stay in cities or travel, um, we take this wherever we go. This, this is always, this is always available. When it's healthy, it's available. You know, when it's feeling strong, when it's feeling well, when it's free from pain, uh, when it's comfortable, uh, when it's hungry, when it's thirsty, it's, it's, it's available. We can contemplate that as nature. And also when it's sick and when it's dying. Um, one of the things I've been thinking is, you know, that, you know, we're, all of us are getting older and, you know, these bodies are, you know, they'll, they'll die. Uh, some sooner than, than others. And we haven't, like in, you know, in terms of our, our monastic community, there haven't been, uh, haven't been so many people dying, but, you know, as, as, as we all get older, it'll, it'll happen more and more frequently. And just realizing that that's, that also is a, a blessing to be, in a situation where this is, we contemplate this. This is this is part of our life, you know, contemplating um, these bodies as they change, as they get old, as they die. I mean, my body is getting old, and it's changing a lot over the weeks, the months, the years. Big, big changes, <laughs> and. Uh, That's all right. Now, contemplating Lumpur's body, how, how it's, it's changed. You know, for many of us, uh, not having seen him for a few years and just noticing how um, his body has changed and he's spoken about it himself. Um, and we can feel very uh, concerned, distressed, upset. But you know, when we contemplate this with wisdom, we see, well, this is... This is what bodies do. Uh, they change. And sooner or later they, they, they die. I was remembering some photographs uh, in our family. My mother, she, she used to uh, take photographs of us, and these photograph albums of me just after I was born, and then me when I was uh, a few months old, and then me when I was walking, and then me when I was in my school uniform. <laughs> uh, growing up, riding a bicycle, riding a horse, a teenager, and so on. All these photographs, and then among our family photographs, there are some photographs of um, our grandparents. And I, I never met my grandparents because um, apart from my mother's mother who died when I was two months old, the others all died before I was born. So my um, photograph of my father's mother was my father when he was just a baby and his older brother and sister standing beside and uh, that wasn't that many years ago. 
And these people who, you know, in some ways is a very uh, intimate connection. I mean, my grandmother. And yet, looking at a photograph, it's just a photograph of, of somebody who I never met. Don't even know very much about her. Uh, and then my brother, and then my nephews, and their children. And just all these people who, you know, close relatives, people who are close to us. And yet, I don't have the same feeling about any of your grandparents or parents or um, other relatives. So that's an interesting thing to contemplate, just um, the, the specialness, the, the closeness. And yet, um, when we contemplate from the point of Dhamma and contemplate, you know, our relationships, and some of you I know quite well, some of you I, I hardly know, and yet when we're together here um, contemplating Dhamma, there's a real sense of, of, of connection. Um, the human human family, the monastic family, um, you know, all of us on on this journey, um, all of us dealing with um, the difficulties that arise just as as being a human being, the ways that we get ourselves caught and struggle with different um, mind states. Uh, the, the grasping on to ideas, to opinions, to views, to positions. I, and two people I know right now at, 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 are at loggerheads over you know, quite a small matter, but um, it, it's a big deal. And you know, for them it's a very big deal. I, and I know myself, if I've been in a situation of conflict, it's, it's a very big deal. It's very painful. Um, and then the the relief when we when we can let go. I was very struck a couple of days ago. Arjun Amro gave this reflection, sharing a saying of Lumpur Cha, something like, "If you if you put it down, you see the truth. If you don't, you won't." <laughs> and uh, just seeing how. Uh, living in community, living with other people, how frequently it happens uh, that we get stuck on something. We don't put it down. We, we, we grasp onto an idea, a position, an identity. Um, and how, um, I was going to say painful, but actually it can be quite exciting. You know, if we feel we're right about something, you know, real concern, I'm right. And we, we get ourselves stuck into a position, and then maybe we, you know, we talk to our friends about it, and we form a group who are all stuck into this position. We're, we're right, and they're wrong. It gives a sense of, of energy, a sense of power that is quite um, invigorating. Um, but in our practice of Dhamma, what I would strongly encourage. Um, is to really contemplate 
you know, when such situations arise. And um, to really question, you know, is, does, this, does this really feel good? Is this really um, something I want to hold on to? Does this really lead to happiness? Does it really lead to peace? Does it really lead to a sense of um, real sense of self-respect and dignity? Is it, is it a real? Does it? Is it uplifting? And personally, all you know, I've, <laughs> it's happened to me quite frequently, and uh, you know, in some ways, it feels good, but then. When I go deeper, <clears throat> and actually when I can let go and allow the, the awareness to just drop into the present moment um, and let go of that position, you know, what I find then is much more wonderful, uh, much more uplifting, much more peaceful, and brings a much greater sense of gladness and self-respect. There's something um, kind of thrilling and exciting about getting our own way, but there's something much better um, about just uh, allowing the, the Dhamma, allowing ourselves to, to rest in the Dhamma, and sometimes when we rest in the Dhamma, things work out the way that we had hoped they would, Sometimes they don't. But we realize that our, our, our being with Dhamma is much, much more precious than getting our way, attuning to Dhamma, allowing things to unfold according to Dhamma, to truth. So over the next while, you know, there'll be many meetings. We have three whole days of nuns meetings, so lots and lots of things that we're going to need to talk about and make decisions about, and, uh, and elders' council meetings, English Sangha Trust meetings, ADL, ABC, tons of meetings, um, lots of opportunities to uh, contemplate um, a strong sense of what should happen, what must happen, and then the opportunity to relax, to let go, to come to the breath, to come to the body. If we actually have a, a strong sense of something, what happens quite often is that when we can actually let go of our fixed position, of our holding tightly to that idea, we just can relax. If we can attune to Dhamma, then sometimes other people can come to see, oh, actually, that, that is right. Venerable so-and-so is right. Sister so-and-so is right. Yeah, that's what we should do. So learning how to, to operate, to live our lives with, with skill, with care, rather than being overly concerned about getting our way. So, 
coming back to the nat, namus. You know, in the grand scheme of things, these um, issues, concerns, um, you know, may may seem very insignificant, and yet, from the point of view of our own life, of our own practice, um, according to to Dhamma, to truth, um, they're extremely significant. It does matter. That we learn how to live together with skill, with kindness, um, taking responsibility uh, for our own uh, minds, for our own practice, um, our own um, process of liberating the heart. You know, really recognizing when we've got stuck, when we've got caught uh, by, some, by some desire, some fear, some longing, some concern. Recognizing when we've got caught um, and seeing that letting go is important. It's the most important thing we can do. Letting go, attuning to Dhamma, allowing things to unfold according to Dhamma, rather than through a worldly uh, kind of power, domination, the way of the world. We're doing it differently here. <laughs> we have the opportunity to do it differently in a way that brings uh, peace, in a way that brings well-being, uh, that brings true happiness. So I maybe end this talk now um, and um, offer these reflections which I hope can support us all in a uh, calm, uh, joyful, um, attuned um, re-emergence from or change of mode uh, from our retreat mode into our more active and engaged uh, community mode and may our practice, whatever mode we're in, lead us rapidly, uh, step by step, to perfect liberation from all, all dukkha, all struggle. <laughs>